In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My dear sisters and brothers in Christ, it's natural, obviously. It's natural today, uh, on a day like today, to think about and maybe even want to talk about Martin Luther and, and Lutherans. After all, as I mentioned at the beginning of the service, it was 506 years ago this coming Tuesday, October 31st, that he nailed a piece of paper to the door at his church hoping to start a discussion and debate to talk about some things that his church was currently doing that he could not see or find supported in Scripture. And all of these centuries later, here we are, bearing that name, Lutheran. I think it's natural on a day like today to want to talk about that. But for many of you, this, this Lutheran thing is new to you. You don't know much about Martin Luther or Lutherans or even about the Lutheran church. Some of you, this is brand new. You don't know anything about any of that stuff. And then there are others of you who've been Lutheran your whole life. But what does that mean? I could tell you some things about Lutherans this morning. Things that I would put in the category of interesting, but you really don't need to know category. Like I could tell you some jokes about how much Lutherans love coffee, or how little we like change. Or I could talk about how good Lutherans are at hosting potluck meals and maybe even share with you some of my favorite hot dish casseroles from my childhood. Interesting, but none of those things really matter. I could tell you some other things about Lutheranism that I would put into the category of I don't really have time to talk about them today, but you absolutely should learn about them. Such things like the Lutheran emphasis on vocation. The biblical teaching that God calls all Christians to serve in meaningful ways and roles, whether it's in your home, or at your job, or in your community, or in your church, or in all of the above. I could talk about our, our Lutheran musical heritage which is among the richest in Christianity. I could tell you about how the Lutheran Reformation changed the way higher education and really all education is done. Or I could even talk about the history of the Reformation, which really is fascinating. But I don't have time to go into all of those things today. So what should I tell you about Lutherans? What rises to the top? Well, it's really nothing about Lutherans themselves or even about Martin Luther himself. No, what I would highlight about Lutherans is this message that we hold dear. The message that we preach, the message that we teach to our children, and it's not a message about us. It's not a message about our heritage or our history. It is the message about Jesus Christ. So let me highlight this about 
Lutheranism today. At the center of real Lutheranism is this message, which God spells in the Bible through the Apostle Paul. You are righteous in God's sight. Righteous and righteousness are important terms that the Apostle Paul uses there in that second scripture reading we looked at in Romans chapter 3. To be righteous is to have a clear legal standing with God. It's the ability to stand face to face in the presence of God, the God who knows all things and who searches out the deep places in our hearts, and to have that God say to you, you are not guilty. That status, that good standing in the presence of God, that is what the Apostle Paul calls righteousness. The vital question for us this morning then is, how? How do we get that status? How do we get that confidence to know that standing there in the presence of God, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that this is what He's going to say to me, about me? Our instincts tell us that the answer to that question is pretty simple, right? I mean, how do you get into anyone's good graces? Well, you do stuff. You do good things for them. And really, why should it be any different for God? God gives us Ten Commandments. He tells us to keep them. That's what He wants us to do. And if you do that well enough, God will approve of you, and He will give you that cherished title, Righteous. The way to get righteous in God's sight is by observing His law and doing what He commands. That is natural for us to think. It's what the vast majority of people think when it comes to religion in general. This is how you appease your God or your gods or the people around you. You do things that are going to make them happy. And if you do enough of them, well enough, well, then you should be good. But here's the problem. There's a flaw in that plan that when you and I try to get righteous with God by doing things that please God, well, it never actually goes the way we think it through in our minds. It never plays out that way. You see, focusing on God's law, His commandments, to get a good standing with God never works. In fact, Focusing on God's law, looking at His commandments and saying, if I do these things long enough, hard enough, well enough, then God will finally love me. Doing all of that is only going to remind you day after day just how far short your life is of God's law. Paul put it this way. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law. That's us so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Let me put that in my own words. If you are looking for something or someone 
to tell you how good of a person you are. Do not ask the law of God to tell you that. It won't. God's law is not going to pat you on your back for your accomplishments. That's not the purpose of God's law. No, instead God's law makes demands of you. It tells you how to love God with everything that you are and everything that you have completely without fail. It tells you that you have to love God more than anyone or anything else. You have to love God more than your spouse. You have to love God more than your kids. You have to love God more than your parents. You have to love God more than your stuff. You have to love God more than your own life. It also tells you that you have to love every person around you and maybe not even close to you, every other person in the world, as much if not more than you love yourself. Regardless of who they are, what they've done to you, or how deeply they've hurt you. And so if you and I come to the law of God saying, Law, I'm a good person, right? Tell me that I'm righteous. The law of God will say this. Shut up. That's literally what, what Paul says when he says, every mouth will be silenced. Literally, every mouth will be shut. The law of God says, you think you're righteous? I tell you to love God more than anyone and anything else, and you don't. I tell you to love everyone else in the world and around you, regardless of who they are, more than you love yourself, and you don't. So Paul says, every mouth will be shut up, and the whole world held accountable to God for through the law we become conscious of our sin. So someone might come into our church thinking along these lines. Pastor, I know the routine. Maybe I don't have a background in Lutheranism or really know much about this particular branch of Christianity, but I get it. I know what it's all about. When it comes, to, when it comes down to it, you're going to tell me, this church is going to tell me that I need to be a better person. You're going to need to say that I have to live a better life, that I need to pay more attention to God, probably that I'm also going to need to pay more money to God. You're going to tell me that what God really wants to hear, what He really wants from me is to be a good neighbor, to be a good citizen, in general, just to be a decent person. That's the message of this church, right? Actually, no, it's not. You should never hear me saying, you should never hear us, this church, saying, if you really want to be right with God, then all you need to do is fill in the blank. To say that is to imply that you and I, that anyone, can be righteous in the sight of God by observing His law. And we can't. 
One of the things you should hear in a Lutheran church, then, is what Paul and the rest of Scripture says, which is this. You cannot ever be a good enough person for God. You cannot, I cannot, ever do enough to get into a good standing with God. Neither you, nor I, nor anyone else stands a chance whatsoever of doing anything that will get for us this beloved, cherished title of righteous. Nothing. Never. Ever. The Bible rules out every avenue of becoming righteous based on anything you or I could ever do for God when Paul says, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. And a natural follow-up question then is, okay, well then, who can be saved? How could anyone ever then get this title of being righteous in God's sight? It's a great question. And thankfully, it's one that the Bible answers. The Bible doesn't stop at talking about the law of God, and so Lutherans shouldn't either. Really, no Christian should. There is more to the story of us being righteous in God's sight. Paul says, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Did you hear how different this is? A righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known. In other words, there is a way to be righteous in God's sight and it has absolutely nothing to do with how well you keep God's law. Because we can't keep God's law well enough to be righteous, God himself gives us another way. So what is it? What is the way to get in a good standing with God if it's not by doing something that he said? Well, Paul says, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. That's how. That's how you and I are righteous in God's sight because it has nothing to do with us. Instead, it has everything to do with Jesus Christ. Based on what Jesus Christ has done, we are righteous in the sight of God. And yet here's where a lot of people object and they say something like, well, that really is not fair. How can God call righteous people who are guilty as sin? It's another good question and another one that God answers. You see, as powerful as God is, God cannot just sweep sin under the rug. He can't just ignore it and hope that it goes away. You see, to do that would be to go against God's own nature, which is pure holiness. To do that would be to go against his own word and his promise, where he promises that he will punish sin. So God has to deal with sin. God has to punish sin because he is just and he is fair and that is the right thing to do. Yet this is how great his love is for, for people. 
God punishes sin, but He releases us, the sinner, from the punishment. He punishes our sin by putting it on His only Son, Jesus Christ. By making Jesus, the innocent one, guilty of our sin. And Jesus takes that role on willingly. Every shameful act in your past, every hurtful word that you ever uttered or offended, every selfish agenda in your mind, the sins we know about and the ones we don't even recognize, but God does, every single one of your sins was laid on Jesus. Paul calls this kind of transaction, he calls it redemption. Back in the New Testament time, a redemption was a price that was paid to set someone free. Whether it was from slavery or from a debt that they owed, it sort of served like a ransom payment to take someone who was in bondage and to set them free. And Paul says that's what Jesus has done for you. He has paid that price for you and for me and for the world. And why? Because he wanted to. Because he just could not stomach the thought of you suffering for your sins. He did it because of his grace, which is God's inexplicable love that he has for sinful people. So Paul says there is no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him, Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And I love that last phrase. God is just. He does what is right. And that means that He punishes sin. And yet at the same time, He is also the one who justifies that is, He is the one who declares righteous, who declares sinners not guilty, who sets them free. So how is it that God can be just, right, and fair, and be the one who justifies us? Because Jesus paid the price for us. God's justice over our sin has been completely satisfied on the cross of Jesus Christ. And this is where someone usually asks the question, okay, but what about me? What about the things that I do? Isn't it important to God that I try to live a Christian life? Well, of course it's important. And of course God wants that. But God makes us new people. And we live now in a whole new walk of life. But brothers and sisters, we have to understand that what we do for God is never as important 
as what Jesus has done for us. In other words, when it comes to the Christian life, passivity trumps activity. What we receive from Jesus is always greater than what we give to Jesus. Which means that Jesus gets all of the glory. He gets all of the honor. He gets all of the praise for giving us our righteous status. Paul concludes our section this way. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On the law that requires works? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. When do we get to praise ourselves? When do we get to pat ourselves on the back? Paul says we don't. Because Jesus is that great. Because Jesus is that powerful. Because the sacrifice of Jesus is that complete that there is no room left for praising or boasting in anyone or anything else other than Jesus. Through Christ and on account of Christ alone, you and I are righteous in God's sight. That is what you should expect to hear from a Lutheran preacher. That is what you should expect a Lutheran congregation to stand for and stand on. That is why people come here week after week. Not because they're looking for someone to, to tell them how good they are or to tell them that they're so close, just keep trying harder. No, it's because of this. People come here to see and hear Jesus. That is what Lutherans are all about. That is what the Reformation is all about. The message of Lutherans is not do this or do that and maybe you will be spiritually okay or follow these ten steps to have a spiritually fulfilling life. No, those things don't do anything good for people People who are ground down by their guilt or who are worn out by trying to do the best that they can or who are ultimately crushed by their inadequacies or failures. No, what saves people, what saves us, is Jesus Christ. The eternal Son of God who chose to die in our place on a cross. What helps and heals is this message from your living Savior. You cannot fix what you've broken. And you don't have to. Because I did. You are righteous in the sight of God. Hear it in my words. I forgive you all your sins. And trust that the words of Jesus are always true. You are righteous. Hear it in His promises that never fail. You are righteous. See it in holy baptism where you were washed clean forever. You are righteous. Taste it in this simple yet priceless meal. That's what I want you to know about Lutherans. 
That's what I want you to know on Reformation Sunday. But even more important, that's what I want you to know about Jesus. And that is what he wants you to know about yourself. You are righteous in the sight of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Thanks be to him in his holy name. Amen.